Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapters. Why had Esther Longtree been born herself if she must face this horror all alone? Ever since she could remember, she had been called by one name, Little Jackets, and all because she had been born kicking, stubborn, awkward. She had fought against being born, a mother had always told her, reproaching her for ingratitude and coldness of heart and monstrous stubbornness. She had been reluctant to be born slow, slow to move. She had felt awkward and unwanted, even when she was little, and had often cried in the dark, being afraid of the darkness. Had clenched her fists and cried, and no one had come to stay her cries, so she had grown up lonely. She had made friends of her natural enemies, the woodpeckers, the blue jays. Nature had brought her many blows, even when she was little, falling on her face, her knees always scarred, her body always black and blue because of the many accents. She had learned, though, to love to pity her father, the passive policeman, poor fat fellow, who had no home life like the other men, and who walked all night when his wife was sleeping in a little bed, and who patrolled the graveyard, too. Climbing the graveyard hills, swinging his heavy stick against the tombs to warn the couples who were interlocked upon the flat gray stones, or hidden behind the wings of the angel. But he would not have to arrest them, and they would run before they saw his face, red and puffy like the harvest moon. The graveyard was a place where life began in this county, not where it ended, she'd always said, a place where the field mouse ran out of the grave. But of course she had not been there recently in her memory, not even though the featherweight champion remembered otherwise, for she was no lover of death. Her pursuit had been a love of life, and if she had made a mistake, it was because of herself having been the great mistake. The issue of such lonely parents, parents who were separated by immensity, who had not loved. If inside her body her little children sometimes had not moved at all, it was because of no mistake of hers, for she had tried to outdistance life and love all her life long, and had given herself up to passion, storms, breeding. She being full-blown like a red rose, yes, blooming in the heart of death, of snow. Or being a white piano on a tinkling stream, with keys not dusty, or amplitude filled with echoes and with echoes of no music. She had tried. She had tried. She had even climbed the graveyard hill alone, only missing her father by an inch, hiding behind a tomb alone when he came by, warning the couples with his whistle and stick. She was not big, almost as big as he. At home, she would lie in her bed listening for the policeman's whistle at dawn, knowing that the night vanished where he came. Poor fellow, he had had all the bad luck, and she all the good luck by comparison. The fulfillment, the balm, the blessings that he had missed, he being just an ordinary policeman, but she being no ordinary waitress, she being the other heart of the other mystery. He whistled in the night to warn away the thieves, the lovers. She whistled to let them know when the coast was clear. But they were just alike, she and her father, in spite of a few differences. She was the chip off the old block. And surely his, as if she had been born with the result of love. Oh, how surely his, but not her mother's. For how could so great an issue as she have come from a mother so small? She and her father were just alike, except that her father had bad luck, and she, by comparison, balm, sweet oil, mere happiness. Her father had missed so much in life, all that she had not missed. Poor fellow. It was impossible to know whether he knew what he had missed, he being so slow, so quiet. But she knew what he had missed, the impulse, the desire, the flesh, he, the fat, passive policeman, swinging his wooden stick. His life was a prison. He could not get out of it. Poor but cold, yet warm-hearted. How could he have endured his lonely marriage for so many years, she often wondered, and why he pampered the mother, treating her as the little schoolgirl, schoolgirl he once carried in his arms. He was the lonely man, looking at all persons with an unseen look, perhaps looking beyond them at the sky. All persons were the same to him, undifferentiated, all as if they had been flocks of birds in the evening sky, all as if they had been snow, the falling snow. He had only one interest, baseball, but she knew the games his course for years back. His face sagged, folds of his cheeks hanging loose, and his small eyes were sunken, and his stomach rolled, and he was never quite awake, even when the bank robber came. 
he showed him the way to the bank. He was childish, she guessed, his innocence being greater even than that of the child. But the children were not innocent at all, she had discovered. The children were wise by comparison with their fathers. He was so slow, so quiet, hardly ever speaking because he did not want to express his secret opinions if ever he had any. His hands were long, his fingers long and loose as if they were about ready to drop off. His voice was low and soft, and there were close friends of his who had never heard it. Not that he was not strong, he was only timid like someone small, and he was afraid of the other men, the women, the whole human race. Miss something by an inch, he once said to Esther Longtree, was the famous to miss it by infinity. The loss would be everlasting as was his. But he had no self-pity, he was not talkative, living as he did in a house too small for him. Her mother's house, which was also too small for her, everything being built to my mother's size, everything being breakable so that if you just moved through a room, something broke. If you sighed, you broke something. There were so many little objects of glass, so many little toys, said Esther Longtree. Her mother was childish, both in size and in mentality. Her mother was a child with long gray curls. Unhappy childhood Esther Longtrees. She had been abused by her schoolmates, the other children, had been made fun of, old little jackass with her deformed foot, her streaming hair, her crossed eyes, her stubborn head, but she was always sticking into old lost nests, just as her mother said, and maybe had and maybe had done so before she was ever born, so far as Esther knew. She did not know the time when things happened. She was always stung, worried by wasps, bees, flies, ever since she could remember, and perhaps long before. She was the red, red rose, even when she was a little girl, and once a bee flew up her skirts, and never was it seen to come out the little door again, even when came the other, small and frightened, stillborn, snowflakes. Ever since that day when the bee flew up her skirts, and oh, how she had cried, there had been this buzzing under her skin, this buzzing which, like the tick of a clock, she could always hear, especially in the dark, empty winter days. For if she was unemployed, when she was a little girl, it had happened that there was a bee in the parlor and that it did fly up her skirts, so she had run screaming and kicking through the house, breaking all the furniture, the glass faces, and her mother had hit her and had not believed her when she tried to explain that there was a bee. Poor little jackass, stinging inside, stung outside, stung like an old mule in the hot sunlight. She was always an accident, sprawling ever since she could remember. Her foot crippled, her heart enlarged, her stomach empty because she could not eat enough to give her strength. Even before she was ever pregnant, she was always hungry, stealing food out of the icebox when her mother was not looking. She had run away, and she had come back. She had appeared, and she had disappeared. Her mother used to tie her by a rope in the yard under the tree. Now the last of her family she was, unless she could count the others who had run away. The family was dying out in this line, she guessed, unless she could give birth to one who lived. Why should it be so hard for her to achieve the birth of one who lived? For she was natural, just like her father's people who were partly Irish and partly Indian, and maybe even had a Negro streak in them, of course, so long ago that it would make no difference in the color now. Her father's mother did give birth many times, often without knowing it, for she ate and was fat, and babies spilled from her like leaves from the trees. It was often remembered now. Her father's mother was natural. Even absent-minded, never once thought that a baby might be coming. She would just go about her work, never thinking, and all of a sudden, it would happen that she was taken unaware. She would turn bend, spill a baby, lit, live, and squalling into the wash basket, onto the floor, but the baby was never hurt, and it lived. All but one of the babies had lived. Once she was entertaining some friends when she asked to be excused for a moment, stepped out of the room, came back naked with a live new baby in her arms, and that was Esther Longtree's father, the passive policeman now, the youngest, the most devoted to his mother's memory. Then why should Esther Longtree have dropped only the dead, little bird eyes, little bird feet, little bird wings, little blackbirds? For she inherited nothing from her mother, that tiny woman, nothing, no nature. It was all from her father that she inherited her strength, from her father, the great lumbering policeman. 
There was nothing from her mother so tiny, so small, that needle's eye through which the camel shall not pass. Her mother was the needle's eye, not like her father, and her father's people big, brawny, natural, laughing at birth, laughing at weddings and funerals and wakes. Thus was Esther Longtree born of these sad, lonely parents, her father who did not know his loneliness, her mother the child with the long gray curls. So what could Esther expect? So she was mulish. So she was Jesus Christ. So she had come into the world in the most peculiar way, only after long trial, long suffering. And that was another reason for her embarrassment or hanging her head. Only by trying so hard could she be natural, having such unnatural parents. And she was difficult to wonder if she was stubborn, kicking, fighting them off. Her parents had always been strangers to each other, and never had they known of human love, the flesh, the regret. Thinking that she was a virgin still naturally, or an old maid with a young girl's heart, they wanted to protect her, and she was unprotected, giving herself to all comers, how often in the past. Hers being the faith in some real answer from the void, hers being the preparations, the hopes prolonged of maturity, the swaddling clothes that she had buried under the persimmon, the cherry, the peach trees, hers being the little book of the alphabet not read by human eyes. Perhaps it was read by little squirrels, by baby owls, by night birds. Would other parents be astonished they knew their grandchildren? Yet her mother always threw it up to her that she had never suffered life's reality or the pangs of childbirth or of eternity as when you hear the child crying and cannot reach it with your hands. How little her mother, that pallid descendant, George, Washington's sister, had ever known of life, of the wild knowledge which Esther Longtree knew, for she could not guess what the dimple fist of Esther Longtree meant, and she could not read the signs, and she was so foolish as to suppose that there had been no issue from this moolish old dissatisfied daughter. Never had her mother suspected, even when she peered through the keyhole, what went on in Esther Longtree's bedroom at night. Never had suspected, even when she crept into the great bedroom, her little feet tiptoeing with a glassy sound, that there were other little feet tiptoeing in the darkness, other little faces, other little hands, other little funerals. Would poke, peer, pry, never guess the meaning of the crumbs upon the windowsill, the apple cores, the bird voices. Would only sigh, would only scold, would complain of the odor of the cold earth, how bad it always smelled, the wet clay smells of the grave, and wonder why Esther Longtree did not get married. Hee-haw, how Esther Longtree laughed, telling the family secrets, embarrassing her mother by telling that the father had a negro streak in him, that the mother's brother had committed suicide, that there had been all kinds of scandals long before the birth of Esther Longtree, who was born mulish. Mulish, kicking against them all, against the traces, the obstructions, the mortal boundaries, just as old doctor had told her, that she was the immortal one looking upon the world with her crossed eyes, and never would she die in childbirth, though she turned herself inside out. So hers was this mulish nature, the stubborn love, the furtive enterprise that would not give up or acknowledge defeat, even in the nameless grave, for the grave would blossom. Thought how she had tried, expanding her strength, but she had been guilty of child murder even before she was born, and her mother's will was guilty of infanticide, condemned as a murder before her birth. She was not born innocent and stainless. Before she was ever born, she'd killed a little child, someone helpless, someone had been considered even by the doctor to be a shadow hiding behind her. Oh, it was strange, but it was true that Esther Longtree was guilty of infanticide in her mother's womb, that she had done this awful thing, that she had murdered a little child before she was delivered by her mother. Her mother had often said so shrill, complaining, nervous, sometimes crying, sometimes smiling, that Esther Longtree's birth, which almost torn her apart, had been the death of a little child, that she had killed a little child before she was ever born, she with her big feet, her blind, mulish nature, which had no consideration for the other person. Kicking, kicking in her mother's womb, she'd kicked the other out. So it was born several months before Esther Longtree, and it was born premature, dead, waxen, poor little thing that seemed a shadow. 
Her mother had accused her, laughing, crying ever since she could remember that she had killed her twin, the other one, the shadow, that she had done this awful thing and was inconsiderate, that if the other had been born alive instead of this big creature, her mother would have been happier. If the shadow had been born alive instead of Esther, how happy her mother would have been, Esther said. She had been born instead of the shadow. Poor, poor little thing. Poor little other one who would have loved her mother so much. Rosemary, of whom her mother had spoken ever since Esther Longtree's earliest memory. She would say that she had not known there were two until the first one came and was laid out upon a tiny lace pillow. That her death was Esther's fault. That she had lighted a tiny white candle. That there had been this little funeral without the neighbors knowing. She would say that Esther had kicked Rosemary out into the cold winds, the snows, the starlight, straight out of the womb into the grave. Rosemary had had no chance, but Esther had had all the chance and all her mother's love and kindness. Was she grateful for them, her mother had always asked her, even when she was little, not yet pregnant, hanging her head in shame because of her bigness or mulish nature? Had she been grateful for the piano and the elocution, the lessons in dancing to cure her lame foot as Rosemary would have been if she had not been killed by Esther when they were in the womb together, one seeming a shadow or a reflection? Had she been grateful for the self-expression, the kindness? Her mother had said that she was too awkward and broke the furniture. Her mother would describe to her when she was still a little girl, even though big for her age, her breasts already red, overdeveloped. What the other was like, so tiny, so sweet, her little eyes that had never opened or else had never closed, her little hands that were folded, her soft gold hair like the buzz of a baby chick. How she had made not even one little peep, how the poor little thing was wrapped in silk by her mother and buried in a little grave under a pear tree, the grave had been scooped out by her mother's tiny hands and stamped down by her mother's tiny feet. But which pear tree and flower it was, her mother would not tell her, for fear of her digging a hole in the ground, for fear Esther might look for Rosemary. The child would go out and dig in the cold ground with a spoon anyhow, always looking for Rosemary, or else looking for someone else before she was ever pregnant. When she would ask where Rosemary was, her mother would always smile and change the subject without saying to run and fetch her needle. That if it was Rosemary now, if Esther was the shadow of the other, how grateful Rosemary would have been just for the chance to win in her mother and ease the mortal burden. Rosemary's hair was golden, soft as mock silk, and Rosemary's little feet were perfectly formed. Rosemary would have grown to perfection and would have been a daughter to lean upon, her mother said, someone to whom she could have taken her troubles, someone in whom she could have confided her secrets, would have appreciated her frailties, who would have understood her maternal heart and heartache. Rosemary would have wiped away her tears, would have been so considerate of others, would never have talked back, would have asked her mother's advice. Rosemary would not have smelled to high heaven, would not have tracked mud in upon the shining parlor floor would not have broken the furniture or her mother's heart. So all Esther's life, she had grown up hearing of Rosemary, who had grown mock, but who would have been perfect, her mother said. But Rosemary would have learned her lesson sooner, quick as a flash. Her spelling, her arithmetic, would have cooked a meal, would have boiled water without scorching it, and would have been both popular and elusive, and would have danced with the boys if she had not been killed in the womb of her own mother. Esther, when she was a little girl, her face swollen with quiet tears, would dig in the ground for rosemary with a old or feathered spoon. But her mother would say that she must not dig for rosemary because it was too long ago and she had forgotten which pear tree. There being so many now, so many little pear trees. Sometimes her mother would tell her not to worry about it, but that she had killed that poor little thing and looked like its mother, small and pinched and helpless, flesh of her flesh, beautiful and sad. If it had been a shadow, Esther would not have worried her dumb head so much, but it would have worried Esther to think that she had done this awful thing, that she had killed her twin in her mother's womb long before she was born. That was why she was afraid to step on a fly when she was little, even before she could realize the immensities. 
Her guilty conscience had hurt her. She had blushed easily to think that she had killed the other long before she herself was overborne, that she was a murderer even in those dark waters unlighted by the starlight, that she had pushed the other out because the womb being so dark and narrow, more like a grave than a womb. She born several months later with a fist bleeding. Her chin bruised, her dark hair streaming over her eyes. Because she was a murderer even in her mother's womb, because she had killed someone, what righteous person could blame her? She had not had any power of reason. There had been no wound on Rosemary, no cut or scar. But it was Esther who was wounded, bleeding and fearful when she was born, kicking, squalling, afraid of the light and the accusation and the sting of sensation. Yet her mother had blamed her always, and she had killed the little child before she was born, mother's face being so young that it would seem she had not grown older, though her face was framed by gray curls. Her mother's heart was cold and narrow, and her hands were chill. Her mother had accused her of murder ever since she could remember and had not loved her half a month. He never nursed her at those narrow breasts. He never stayed with tears. She would say that she had killed the other, that if it had been Rosemary instead of Esther, her marriage would have been happy, that there would be no trouble coming between her and her husband. All her life, Esther had been accused of this, and of her sullen nature, and of her secret laughter, but sometimes, as no one but Esther knew, her laughter was so loud that it shook the snow from the clouds. Her children, like the snowflakes falling on a grave, were all her own. One more or less, what difference to her, even though there was one that was older than she, yet younger, one who had faded as the wind blew over her heart, one who was nowhere. And she was worried that if she sought over this landscape now, big as she was, looking for those she might have lost, digging the graves, the holes, stumbling, groaning, she might find the other, older than she, some little skeleton, more like a bird's, that one she had killed before ever she was born to her parents or conscious of death. Little twin had seen the shadow, the premature in his voice spoke not to anyone whose voice was never heard. Her mother had approached her in rain or snow or wind, was never heard among the brown lids falling. Her mother said that the other had never cried and would never have answered back. Yet why then would Esther be afraid even now that she might still find it, the other, the shadow, which could have left these obscured traces for all she knew? Could it have left the stars upon the glass? She did not dare to trouble herself too much about it now, of course, being always pregnant. Now that she was older, would worry more only if there was nothing would think then that there might be the other evolving in the moonlight by itself. Sometimes when she was walking through the chalky moonlight alone, hearing the rustling of the white leaves or finding a little alphabet book buried in the ground, and for murder, 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 and for mother, then would a dread suspicion overcome her that maybe it was some older child than she, that maybe it was none of her stillborn, but something of her mother's, the other, that it, it was the other movement before her. All these rustlings, gleaming shadows of birds, of clouds, of bees, maybe they were the other. She who had seen the shadow herself until she was born dead and killed by Esther. She'd always thought, ever since she could remember digging the holes that afterwards she would stumble into, fallen, had found little pieces, even when she was little, enough to have proved a crime. All kinds of pieces that she had dug up and had hidden away from her own mother's eyes, such as she now remembered. Here's the stained thimble she had found in a hole under a pear tree, the wooden beads in a hole under the cherry tree. Beads a little child uses to learn to count upon, and a shoe button, and a broken doll, and a wreath mold, and a penny, and the toys of a dead creature. She had found a teething ring under a lily pad. She had found so many things. Once she had seen a shower of dolls' wigs falling to earth. The wind would roar, and the sky would darken, but she had not found Rosemary. She had only seen, once from far away, the shadow of her foot upon the grass. Then it heard the tree branches snapping in the high wind, shadows, rustlings, roarings, gleams. All these things had meant something to her, poor Esther, looking for the other. And when she had almost found it, long, long ago, when she was little and tried to shut her mind against the horror of the shadow, the other who had seen the shadow was her bad conscience, her mother said, that Rosemary would never have dirtied her clothes and would have been considered as golden-haired and as delicate. 
She had found crawling on all fours in the mud among the marsh reeds, an old blackbird's nest that swung like a cradle, woven of horse hair and human hair, and there inside the nest, pale blue eggs and long gold hair in the shadow of the mother bird. So she had not dared to touch it, and would have forgotten this long ago had it not been for something her mother had said recently to bring it all back to her. Some little fluky remark that her mother's disappointment, her having been such a mulish child, swollen and awkward, her having killed somebody without shedding the blood. So no wonder if she had never gotten over this. Perhaps after all it occurred to Esther Longtree there had been some awful mistake, older even than murder. Sometimes she had wondered, even when she was a little girl, her head hanging in ignorant shame, if she was not the shadow, if it was not the other who was born. If there had not been some mistake between the love and the death, and the death was born, and the love was the shadow, Esther, was she not the shadow? The other would have been like her mother, and she was like her father, all flesh, all blood, caring not for the invisible things as for the visible, caring only for the coarse, the rough, the natural flesh and blood, the sweat under her armpits, the smell of her own body. What did she care for the spirit voice as little as they were attached to her by natural birth? For what she had done in the dark waters of her mother's womb, she had no real regret. Sometimes she must doubt even her own reality, her own flesh, and seem the shadow even to herself. Esther who cried and was swollen with life with beginning. A little sister among her own could be claimed by her, so loving the milk swelling her breasts, which were red and dusky light. If it was her father's, it could still be hers, so equable was the love she gave to the still children of her wide burden. Why grieve over all matters? What involvements, though, when she got to thinking of the emptiness, the coldness, the nothing, the disappointments, the falling stars, the dark waters, the crying winds, the old fences and gates and signposts? Still walk alone, hanging her head, still stumble almost over the dead children, the pieces, the flowers, the fingers, the hands, the alphabet, be out all night, horsing around alone, and in daylight would see the clothed children playing hopscotch, the children hopping along and think that she would not want to be want one of them to be hers, for none could be so beautiful as the gleams, hints, pieces, starlight, water, shadow. No being so beautiful as non being, her heart no heart so great as non heart. Even to this sad, happy day, though for other reasons than any she had yet expressed, would sometimes think that she was the shadow of the elusive being that no one had ever found for the bones. Maybe because of her loneliness and popularity and cross eyes and mulish nature which put no obstacles, but the obstacle of self that seemed to be 